This is Do School Better, a podcast for people who want to transform education. My name is Doris Corda, and for the past several years, I've been training educators. Listen to these episodes and hear about some of the extraordinary programs they've created. We call these pioneers the fire starters. See if you can get some ideas that you can implement yourself to change your own practice. In this episode, Doris speaks with Alethea Parody, history professor at Santa Barbara City College and the director and CEO of PeaceWorks Travel, a socially conscious study abroad program where students learn through meaningful local problem solving designed to foster critical thinking, empathy, and innovative solutions for a more peaceful world. Hello, Alethea. Hi, Doris. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh my gosh, that's for me to say. I'm so excited to be talking to you. And uh, I would love it if you could please tell our listeners a little bit about you, who you are, and uh, what you do. Well, my name's Alethea Parody. I am a lawyer turned history teacher turned entrepreneur, and I still teach history at Santa Barbara City College. And uh, now I am the director and CEO of PeaceWorks Travel, which is an socially conscious study abroad program. And I learned our differentiating magic from um, Doris and the oh, Wildfire Group. Thank you. That's sweet. Well, what um, I think I loved when I first met you and you came to the very first workshop that, that uh, in Steve Boink's living room when I had no idea that four years later or three years later, whatever it's been, I'd be actually creating a nonprofit and this would have grown so much, but you were very brave to come to that first one. Um, but I loved when I first met you, I loved hearing about why you decided to create your new business. Can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to do it and what you're trying to, what, what your mission is? Well, thank you for asking. I, it was really 9-11 that inspired me to start PeaceWorks. And as a high school social studies teacher, I was hearing my students repeat uh, these calls to war they were hearing on the news as the answer to our national grief following the 9-11 tragedy. And I thought, you know, Let's let's go to Vietnam and and check out how uh, how war solves anything, um, <laughs> it, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, and I I think I'm a good history teacher. I'm really passionate about it because I hated it so much in high school. I was really alienated by this kind of 19th century model of memorization and um, having to uh, assume everything in a textbook was the full story or the full capacity of what um, actually took place. And so I found that experiential learning outside the classroom and then more specifically service learning abroad just sincerely met the needs of engaging students to care about their citizenship, get engaged in their democracy. And once they realized their own power to generate solutions to things, they they really turned on to caring about what the adults around them were doing. And um, I found it uh, taking students to places that were recovering from history was the best way to get them engaged in our own citizenship here at home. Oh my gosh, I love that. And so three years ago, you came to the workshop and 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 t- tell us what happened. What did, what did you build? 
Yeah. So originally, of course, when you when you take kids to places where things have occurred, the the sort of rationalization behind it is that you need to do something. So you want to that volunteerism has become a thing, right? Like mm-hmm. people want to travel yeah. for good and get right to go yeah. abroad. And I came to your workshop looking for a new way of making a difference. Um, there's all kinds of problems around the world that need to be solved. And the goal of service learning is to harness a student's natural curiosity and concern for social problems, convert that compassion into positive action, and then ensure that their desire to help is in fact sustainable. Your workshop helped me formulate a model that is so brilliant that it took me out of this colonial volunteerism mindset where you have the well-meaning Westerners go to some developing country and dig a hole or paint a wall um, and then therefore uh, you know kind of satisfy that that need to feel like you've done something in the meaningful in the world. Um, your framework allowed me to see that there's a better method, a better practical roadmap for customizing, um, solutions-based action into a service learning framework that, frankly, you don't need to leave the country to do. Right. I do it with my students here in the community locally, but it it was a way of harnessing that desire to do something that was really much more about solidarity and sustainability rather than charity. That's really interesting. So talk about the program that you've built, what, what you have students do and how that works as a teacher? So as a teacher, your kids are naturally compassionate, but you ha- you have to give them a reason to, to grab on and engage. So when you, you want them to own a project, say you want them to get interested in foreign policy or history or democracy or uh, you know something related to your core content you have to you have to find a way of stimulating their hearts right to get them yeah. to care um, and it can't the authentic really dig in can't be about a grade and kids are smart they know that in the real world it's not about that anyway so without speaking in abstractions too much what i loved about your program is that you really gave like practical exercises using this the the core business philosophy this proven model canvas uh methodology and applied it into very specific channels that and activities that you can do with students to have them start thinking in a solutions-based entrepreneurial mindset and i i know that's that's high level jargon, but I can, I can give you some practical examples. Um, so for example, when our students go abroad to Vietnam, um, we are partnered with the peace village in Hanoi and they are a, a home and rehabilitative facility for young children with agent orange related complications. And, um, rather than this just being an exercise in voyeurism, right. Where we bring a bunch of healthy Western kids over to, volunteer or play for the day and marvel at their good fortune for not being afflicted with Agent Orange problems, we instead look at this as an opportunity to say, hey, listen, you can now learn science. You can learn about what dioxins are. You can now learn history, right? Why did the United States use this uh, toxic defoliant? And uh, what was the strategy and the meaning behind it? And what were the policymakers thinking? So there's that whole inquisitive piece. And then 
we have the students pen palling in advance with local Vietnamese high school students. Together, they go to the Peace Village. They hear from the directors. They interview the stakeholders, the, the parents and the nurses and some of the residents there. And then they collectively, using the methods I learned from you guys, they go back to the conference room and they're doing all that fun, all the fun stuff. Those, I, I love your lessons. It's very practical how you've been able to digest this this seemingly complex process into it's lesson kind of systems. Yeah, yeah, these these activities, and it's really clear. Oh, this will take twenty minutes, or that'll take you know whatever portion of what is normally a class period. We do this with the students in conference room. They they empathy map, they design think, and they come up with it, what they believe are solutions. And then they go back to the Peace Village the next day and are very passionate. And now they're pitching these ideas to help solve the whatever um, issues the stakeholders have. So obviously, in most cases, it's money. Everyone needs more money to run their nonprofit or to fulfill their mission. Uh, but the the process that our students are going through actually inspire them to think more creatively about possible revenue generating solutions that aren't just based on short term band aids, but are about longer term um, solutions between people previously yeah. uh, divided. So, I, I we also do this. I mean, here in our own community, we don't have to go abroad to do it. I, I use the same kind of methodology with my students, my Vietnam War students, when we're talking about veterans' issues here nice. in town. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same method. So you can do it anywhere. But I I love that the service learning can elevate itself above that kind of short term ego gratification and. I don't mean to. Sure, but it's it's richer. It's richer because they're problem solving in a much broader way and a deeper way. And right. they're yeah. taking those skills. They're taking those skills yeah. and then applying it to other things. So you can see the arc of their evolution, right? The the goal of, sure. of doing doing. I mean, the goal of education ultimately is that this individual would be transformed and then make a change in their communities and their societies, and I, I see our students doing that because they may go through the exercise in this one case, but their their minds are so blown from seeing that, oh, wait a minute, something that we've called a problem isn't really a problem. That might be an opportunity. And how can you look at a failure as not a win-lose situation, but that you're actually revealing, you're peeling back the layers of revealing your assumptions that might be false that's a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. And when there's, you're guiding them through a problem-solving process, and I assume they're, they're working on teams to do this, do they interview people there? Do they have a different kind of dialogue with the, um, the people that they're, they're meeting locally when you do travel with them? I love that you asked that because that's, um, that's the extra layer, of course, right? So you it compels you to have kind of a, a cross-cultural vernacular that you, it takes it to a step higher so that it really compels the students to understand the process because they're, they may have to, through a translator, explain it to someone of a different culture who doesn't necessarily automatically get those principles. Sure. So, um, so for example, our work in Cuba, right. They're just emerging into, they're extremely innovative people. I mean, they're, they're, they have been navigating, you know, beneath this, this 
behemoth. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, and a very arcane system. They're 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 very innovative. They're very solutions based. They're on an island, and so they have to be very resourceful. And they're they're constantly looking for creative ways of solving problems, although they may not have our Western sense of urgency, you know, uh, that time is money and everything needs to be done like this. So they have a healthier life. They have a healthier mindset and attitude and lifestyle is what you're saying. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we have something to learn there for sure. You know, the anxiety we cause ourselves uh, about insisting that things be done immediately. Now, our students have a lot to learn when they move, map through this process as they're, it's very dynamic because it, the, the role of teacher and learner becomes inverted and the students are then compelled as they're as they're asking questions, as they are they're they're trying to distill down through the empathy mapping process. They're trying to distill down on what is this person's exact desire? What mm-hmm. is their what's the thing that's going to unlock that previously inaccessible thing? And what I love about doing this with kids too is they're not rigid thinkers like adults, our brains get calcified, right? We're not as elastic in our thinking. And so when you take kids through this process and you're not telling them what the answer is because you don't even know what the answer is yourself. You're telling them, hey, I trust this method. Here's the core beliefs. I trust this method to lead us to a place where we will harness our best human ingenuity to come up with a solution. Yeah, and you're full of questions along the way just as they are. And you're actively in it with them, learning as they are. It's so great because then you find that it's a short leap from there to them starting to question things and say, well, wait a minute, I've been hearing in the news that this or that about such and such country, might it be that they feel this way about it? Mm -hmm. And so it inspires this whole empathic intuition on creatively putting oneself in someone else's shoes and saying, well, hey, if I were them, what would my problems be day to day? How is it that I would see this issue from a different perspective? And how might I value such and such over thus and so? And again, I know I'm speaking in abstractions, but the kind of consciousness we need to facilitate in our students is to prepare them. We're trying to prepare them for jobs that don't exist yet. Yeah. Yeah. So so they have to be the drivers of these this kind of uh, inquiry, and then they have to see well what what can be monetized along the way, and then how do you do that ethically? So you're teaching them; they're learning all these skills. They're they're learning how to develop processes and problem solve and collaborate and research and question, and all the while uh, your learning objective which is that they learning, you know, service learning. It sounds really powerful what you're getting these students to, to internalize through this. It's brilliant. Your, your program actually. Well, you're doing it. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I, 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 yes, it's true. I, I should say that our, thank you. We, we are doing it and it's, it was, it was, I'm not going to lie. It was, an effort to pivot away from volunteer volunteerism is easy. It's simple, just like handing out worksheets in a classroom is easy and sure. simple. It's, it's very passive, but I know that the, the engine of America's future is really the teachers of this great nation. And there are so many awesome teachers who are looking at the framework that they 
no, we all have compliance, right? We all have to do what we have to do at, within the framework we've been given at our individual institutions. But within that, the gold of that 45-minute class period, how are you going to use that time? There's so many teachers that want to really transcend the ordinary and to take the gift of being in audience with these gorgeous minds for that period of time and leave them with something that will ultimately make this world a better place. And your, your methodology taught me how to do this. And girl, I have to say it's working. (laughs) Well, you're, you're, you're working it. And, you know, I love that um, really in a way you're taking what, what you wanted so badly to see happen as a, as a, as a classroom teacher out into the world. But you, what you're saying is, is really that, um, whether you're taking them out in the world or you're teaching your class locally, it's really about how you're teaching and not where you're teaching. Absolutely. It's about, it's a different way of building your network of, uh, academic partnerships. Um, you know, it's oh, cliche to say, yeah, it's, it's, a you know, the cliche is, well, the world is your classroom. Well, okay. If you're, if you are a teacher who for whatever reason is not going to take their students out of the country, you're going to just try and integrate the, uh, teachable elements within your community into your classroom. Your methodology is perfect for this because, Basically, you're empowering like homework has never been so amazing for these kids. What they what they do is they work in teams in the classroom and then you very clearly give them questions that they're hungry to answer and they will dig and dig and dig until they answer them. And that means research skills. It means uh, public speaking skills. It means self-assertion skills. It's leadership skills. It's them getting out there and saying, I am going to find the answer to this little nugget I and as soon as I understand that piece of data, I can report back to the group and say, hey, guess what? We don't want to go down this road, and here's why. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what have you taken away from it personally when you think about yourself as a teacher over the years? Uh, I am very proud. I'm in contact with students that I have led abroad and use this methodology with, and I'm very proud of how they are you know, this, this is why we do this work, right? How they are now applying this into their own uh, passions and myriad applications, whether they're studying software engineering or science or poetry, it doesn't matter. It's, they are, they now see themselves as powerful agents of change that can, just because they care, really all that's needed is, is concern, which I, sincerely believe that as human beings, we're born with this innate ability to have compassion for one another. And once, you know, if you care about something and you're curious about it, well, the information age has now made every piece of data point available to you. And I'm, I'm very proud personally for how some of these students have exceeded my wildest conceptions of the ways in which they'd apply this knowledge. Yeah, it's great. Sorry. I, we history teachers talk too much. No, (laughs) no, you don't talk too much. It's, it's beautiful. Look, it's why we do what we do. Right. I mean, I, I've often said, um, you know, I worked for many years in business and, and now I've been in education for 21 years. And the biggest difference is that educators chose kids as their life's work. 
um, which is the one thing they kind of all have in common. And you're not talking too much. You're talking from the heart. And it is, there's nothing more exciting than seeing your students years later and seeing that, that they're empowered in their own, you know, in their own abilities, through their own abilities, I should say, and their own recognition of those and applying them to the things they care about. It's exciting. So what, so how did, how has it changed you? What's, what's changed? If you think about yourself, uh, when you were, I don't know, 10 years ago, teaching history in a classroom only, not in these ways. How is this, this program that you've built and how, how you're doing it? How has it changed you personally as a teacher? The number one takeaway I've had from using your method is that it gives genuine, authentic hope. And that might sound a little cliche, but hear me out a sec. Hope is really born of having an awareness of better possibilities and having a confidence that there are individuals, there are systems, there are forces that ultimately will transcend current challenges. And as every teacher has seen a student despairing over something and perseverating over a grade or a problem or an assignment or whatever challenge as, as an adult, we, we look at them and we say, oh my goodness, you bless your heart. You want to just let them in on the little secret like, hey, this doesn't really matter. <laughs> You know, <laughs> absolutely. Anybody, anybody who's been teaching more than like three months, especially in a, in a high school where the kids think the stakes are so crazy high about every single little quiz and test. Anybody who's been teaching more than three months knows exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. And my joy in using your method is that it's a hope uh, engine because it provides a very clear and reliable mechanism for analyzing problems, working creatively and collaboratively with other people, and seeing information that you might not like. It might not be the answer you want. And that's that can be really frustrating when you don't get the answer you want. You really were attached to it. But there's a confidence on the other side of that, well, that you know at least that wasn't the answer. And that you, okay, the path is now clear. You need to keep searching. You need to go back to your team. You need to be creative or, or work another opportunity or, or, or think outside of your, your confines. And once you rub up against your emotional angst of like, I thought I had the answer, capital T, and your, your method reveals that it's actually coming to that negative place is actually a, a good thing. It's an okay thing. And that's the hope that we need to be instilling in our children, not to get so hung up on the grade or the, the, the emotional disequilibrium of the ups and downs of being a human being, but that, you know, the, the negative inputs are, are interesting and they're just information. And we're going to work with that information to ultimately come up with a solution collectively because facts matter and the data will will show us will will nurture us in the right way and so long as we're open to listening and genuinely care about the the outcome it's it's like success is guaranteed 
Well, and the, you know, I'll, I'll bridge, I'll make the parallel between that and, and teachers. You know, the kids, every, everybody who tries this kind of teaching finds, you know, I've, I talk about de-schooling, which I am so sad because I thought that I made that term up and there's a man who actually wrote a book called de-schooling in like 1940. So I didn't make it up. <laughs> but anyway, the, you know, there's this period where, at the beginning where the students really, really want you to give them the answer. They want you to t- give them the instructions. They want you to tell them exactly step-by-step what they're supposed to do. And when they get further into it and they start really internalizing that, okay, this is honestly a real problem. It's a real problem of someone else. Uh, It wasn't manufactured by the teacher or by a textbook. It hasn't been solved before. And there isn't a single right answer, but there are answers that are not right. (laughs) And there are things that don't work. And the best I can do is with these other people I have working on it with me, figure out a process by which we can, all of us together, come up with the best possible solutions by doing a whole lot of work that takes us into research and quantitative analysis and science and communications and frustration and all the those things. And it's kind of messy, but they start really embracing, oh my gosh, I can learn and I can do this stuff and look what I, look what I just did. That's crazy. I never thought I could have done it. And as teachers, it's so wildly different to teach like this than to teach the traditional way. And when you're thinking about Alethea, you've now been doing this for a while. When you imagine a teacher who is uh, like you were in a in a school teaching, I'll make it up five sections of a history class every day in in a high school, and they're thinking, okay, this is all really inspiring, and she's now off doing this all over the world, and that's really cool, and it all sounds really great, but I don't even have a clue how to begin or or if I can begin. What what advice do you have for those teachers? I would say just just start small and you'll get hooked on the magic of it and then it will naturally evolve into something that will occupy greater real estate in your lesson planning. That's and great. I yeah, and I would I would happily by the way if anybody needs a mentor or someone a sounding board to say, "Hey, here's what I'm thinking of doing. How did you do this?" I'm I anybody can call me. I I love talking to teachers because they they're so inspiring and teachers are always finishing up their lessons thinking, you know, that we're, we're naturally sort of self-critical. We finish oh, our yeah. lessons and we're like, Oh, I could have done this or I should have done that. Or, uh, you know, all right, that was first period. I'm going to get it better next period. And you no, know, so we, we iterate naturally, but now it's yep. very, uh, you know, it's, yep. it's just sort of what we do. And I, I think too, that, teachers don't realize that they're already really expert at this modality of thinking. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think your advice is exactly right. You've been now, you've had many iterations. Uh, the first time was probably very, very, very different than what you're doing now. And you've built it over iterations and it's about starting small. I, I could not agree more. I think that's great advice. 
Yeah. I just want to say that, you know, what you're speaking earlier about looking at unsolvable problems, you know, I'd, I'd say beyond seeing the satisfaction of, you know, a student transcending their own, no, when you see a student excelling, and of course you take personal pride and, and um, a little credit for that. But I'd have to say that the number one thing that your, your methodology has helped me with is to break down this, this sort of inevitability thinking that, oh, humans, I think sometimes when the students, they watch the news, they hear about the Holocaust or the atrocities that are, you know, that they're required to learn about or that they're confronted with. And there's this sort of fatalism that, oh, well, those problems will always be there. Oh, well, humans have always been at war. Oh, well, well, you know, we're always going to end in violence. And my long-term macro vision is to instill a sense of consciousness that we can use a different method to come up with solutions to problems that don't end in violence. Wow. And your your method does that. Well, Alethea, yeah, I want to I want to end on on that note about solving problems in ways that don't have to involve violence. Every time I talk to you, it fills my heart to know you're out there teaching. And um, you've now shared that with a whole bunch of people uh, who feel the same way I know. And thank you so much for sharing your phenomenal work with us. Aw, thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. If you like the podcast, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. For more information about our training, go to wildfire-education.org.